special episode of uncanny tracks where we talk about two time travel films two time travel films i am bob in cascadia that is matt in the southland how the hell are you doing tonight matt doing okay bob uh these movies will make you question a lot of things about your life (laughs) are are you starting to think you're from the future matt maybe i am bob maybe i'm from the past i don't know I just started to think uh, I would like to hang out with Brad Pitt in a mental uh, institution. I mean, I'm sure I'm going to wind up in one anyway. So, uh, why? What am I beating around the bush for? Yeah. So you made you made us watch two films, Bob, the Jetty two films, and Twelve Monkeys. And the Jetty is kind of like the super condensed version of Twelve Monkeys. Yeah, yeah. People like to say that the Jetty was like the inspiration for Twelve Monkeys, which I think is a little cheap. Like Twelve Monkeys is a remake of the Jetty. I mean, it's very fleshed out. From exactly. Jetty, but it's a remake. Yes. If you watch the Jetty before Twelve Monkeys, like I did, you will be spoiled. Like you'll, <laughs> you, you, yeah. you will know what happens at the end of Twelve Monkeys. Yeah, it's not precisely the same, but it is so, so close that it, it, it is going to spoil you a little bit. That's definitely true. It's so, almost, Bob, like you're from the future and you've seen what's <laughs> happened and you go back and you watch it. It makes you feel like you're in the film. Good job, guys. Yeah, yeah. I, I hadn't considered that angle on it, but that's a good angle. So Let's flush, let's flush this out just a little bit, Bob. Okay, this means someone in, someone in 1995... Watched Twelve Monkeys and said, "This shit's so damn good. I'm gonna go back in time and make a short film called The Jetty that just ruins the main plot point for everyone." Matt, what if what if actually <laughs> the Sci-Fi Network TV show Twelve Monkeys came first, and oh, then shit. somebody had to make the film to spoil the uh, TV show, and then someone had to make the short film to spoil the film? You know what? You're onto something, Bob. That kind of makes me want to go watch the series now. Yeah. I do resent how much uh, this and uh, Picard are making me want to watch the series just because I don't need another three seasons of TV in my life right now. But uh, I'm, I'm feeling the pull, man. I'm feeling the pull. So uh, we're watching this. I mean, partially it was just a nice excuse to watch it because I like both these movies. And, you know, it, anything that makes an old movie seem briefly relevant, I'm happy to hop on and make Matt record an episode <laughs> of it. But uh, the showrunner of Star Trek Picard Season 3 and the co-showrunner of Star Trek Picard Season 2 apparently did uh, showrun the 12 Monkeys show, which neither of us have seen. And there are a lot of references, none that are really that substantial, but there are a lot of references uh, to the show 12 Monkeys and Picard Season 3. I think the main things are uh, several actors are reused. Amanda Plummer is the uh, daughter of Christopher Plummer from the 12 Monkeys movie. And then the drug splinter that uh, Raffi uses. And I believe Picard's episode season three, episode two is called splinter, which is also, I think what the time travel method in 12 Monkeys is called. So I think, are those the main connections, Matt? Did I miss anything? Those are the main connections. Yes. I can't think of anything else that has really stood out. And I guess, 
this time travel plot in season two of Picard was maybe broadly similar to 12 Monkeys, but I think that was more just because time travel plots tend to be broadly similar, not because of like any specific, you know, influence. Very correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the two things we're talking about, one is the jetty. It's a short film from 1962 directed by Chris Marker, who uh, mostly does documentaries. Um, he did another documentary I like called uh, without sun. That's very interesting. And then uh, 12 monkeys is from 1995. It's directed by uh, Terry Gillum of Monty Python fame. And, you know, Matt, as we begin our journey, we're just going to talk about both films together. We're going to talk about the similarities across them. But, Matt, as we begin our journey, I just want to tell you, uh, there's no escape from time. Yeah, is that why uh, films, TV, and literature are absolutely obsessed with it? Must be, Matt. Must be. <laughs> yeah. So, when you started watching The Jetty, did you get angry at me uh, and be like, fucking Bob, this is a, side, a slideshow, not a film? No, Bob, but when I saw a Criterion collection at the front of it, I knew it was in for something artsy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if people haven't seen The Jetty, which you should definitely watch because it's on YouTube and it's only like 28 minutes, it's a series of like still images. And it does use uh, pans, fades, dissolves, moves the images a little bit. So it does have kind of film effects on top of it, but mostly, and it, music too, and sound effects, obviously, but mostly it is still images. With, with the voiceover, of course. But keep in mind, too, that a lot of these effects Bob was referring to can be done with, like, PowerPoint at this point in, in our current, you know, time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what if, they sent, what if they sent back a PowerPoint, Bob? Uh, what if they didn't send back a human? What if they sent back a PowerPoint called the Jetty? <laughs> if that's true, then I need to be sent forward in the future to murder whoever invented PowerPoint. Because <laughs> PowerPoint is awful. Like PowerPoint is so superfluous. Why every meeting and every lecture is now supposed to involve PowerPoint makes me want to die. Yeah, not, not to go off on too far of a tangent here, Bob, but I have had this discussion with coworkers over and over again. I have literally told them not to do a PowerPoint. And guess what they do? They do a PowerPoint and no one pays attention. <laughs> yeah. What? I'm like, like, you don't need a PowerPoint for everything you do. But most companies seem to think this. They think you have to have a slideshow where people are just going to, like, slam their head on the desk. What I'm a big believer in, Matt, handouts. Make a handout, if needed, for a talk. One, it's good. It works. It's fine. Yes. (laughs) A handout with bullet points about what you're talking about. Maybe a little area you can write notes. Yeah. May, or maybe like a graphic representation, like a concept map, but nothing too crazy, you know? Yes. No. Nothing too yes. crazy. So, Matt, do you want to give us the uh, plot summary, which, you know, uh, conveniently enough uh, can work for either film? Yeah, so both films begin with a young boy on a family outing with a strong memory of a beautiful woman and the shooting of a man. And then they flash forward to an underground post-apocalyptic future of concentration camps where an inmate with a vivid memory of the past is coerced into traveling back in time to save the awful post-apocalyptic present. Indeed, indeed. Matt, did you, uh, did you resent this plot summary? I, okay, when we were just going to cover the jetty, yes, because, uh, you know, so hour-long films and television shows, they get that A-plot, B-plot treatment, but when we were going scene by scene with a 28-minute short, what does Bob do? Give us this whole, like, fleshed-out thing, and we're going to go piece by piece. <laughs> Well, yeah, because uh, because the jetty is art, and uh, most of the things we cover are, are somewhat less than. 
X Men the animated series is art, Bob. <laughs> art is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> Even, even if that beholder is a five-year-old strung out on fruit punch and sugary cereal? Yes, exactly, Bob. Okay. Okay. So, Matt, does 12 Monkeys beginning with a text screen uh, that are the ravings of an allegedly paranoid schizophrenic uh, strike you as a little jab at Star Wars? Not really. It struck me as pure 90s, though, because this was like the norm for a lot of these sci-fi movies. I think every film had this crap at the beginning. I just I just yeah. waited for it. It looks like typed out writing stuff, like you know the the yep. style, the font, everything. Which yeah, is, usually usually it's in some some like bright green computer font. Usually, yeah, I hate bringing it up, but like yeah, Terminator Two had the same thing. Oh yeah, it did. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Matrix I think had the same thing. Well, in in fairness, this predated the Matrix, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah you get the idea. Yeah. So as far as I know, Bruce Willis is in two major time travel movies, 12 Monkeys, and then another one, which I hate, is called Looper. But both, you know, I guess appropriately for time travel movies, hinge on casting younger versions of Bruce Willis. So uh, we have kid Bruce Willis in 12 Monkeys. Do you think he's a better young Bruce Willis, or is Joseph Gordon-Levitt in Looper a better young Bruce Willis? The kid in 12 Monkeys looks spot on to me. Like, I knew that's who it was supposed to be when at the moment I saw him. Like, okay. That's that's the that's the young Bruce Willis there. Yeah, yeah. Although I will say, um, I, as much as I dislike Looper, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis do. I, I wouldn't say they look like each other, but there's an interesting resemblance there. Yeah, they f- they favor each other to some degree. Yes. But... Yeah, that's that's a really good word choice for it. Yeah, they favor it. So, were you impressed by how much Twelve Monkeys recreated a lot of the visual details of the subterranean camps from the stills and the jetty? Yeah, it was. I mean, the future looks pretty bleak, my friend. Uh, I, I would not want to live there. <laughs> it's, but ugh. yet we're getting closer to it all the time, Matt. We're getting. Yeah, I can't wait to be in my in my cage to be yeah. volunteered to do something. <laughs> it's, it's it's. I believe. Did you catch the year for Twelve Monkeys? Nineteen. No, no, no. Twenty. No, no the future. What, was it? The, fu- oh, the, future the future year. year. No, what was yeah. the future year? I believe it was twenty thirty five. So we're almost there. Oh crap. <laughs> we're both going to be in a cage, Matt. Podcast. We're going to record this podcast from our underground concentration camp cave. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, did, I did freak out a little bit though. Like they, the, the chair they put Bruce Willis in that like goes up really high for some reason to like yeah. look at those computer monitors. That that was uh, that was creepy. Yeah, that was very that was very wild. And then we've got in both films we've got the mad scientists with like the raincoats and one. I, I think. You've got a Coke bottle glasses in, in each of the films. It's just very creepy. You do, yeah. That gives me Hugo Strange vibes. Yeah, yeah, definitely uh, good old Hugo Strange. Uh, sadly, none of them dress up as Bruce Willis. That would have really <laughs> perfected the Hugo Strange similarity. Yeah. Uh, did you notice in the jetty that the whispers of the mad scientist uh, were German? Yeah, I, I know just enough German to be able to pick up like what some of the words were, but nothing you know substantial. I knew yeah. like the definite articles and all that stuff to go with it. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting because if you watch it like with the French soundtrack, like they translate the French, but they don't translate the German. Um, and I really do like in both films how they kind of treat time travel as like a matter of the body and psychology, and you know, it's hypnosis and syringes and centrifuges and a creepy white sleeping mask. I, it's a really cool way to do it instead of having like a time machine or a time portal. Yeah, that mask from the jetty was pretty gross. It reminded me of uh, the mask Mr. Tremont's grandson wears in Firewalk with me. Oh, that's a good pull. That's a good pull, yeah. yeah. It's all about that texture. It's like paper mache. It's <laughs> nasty. Yeah, it's just nasty to look at. 
Have you seen anything yeah. else, though, where time travel is used this way, like without a machine or a portal? I must have, but nothing's coming to mind, you know? Yeah, nothing came to mind for me either. I kept trying to think back, and I could not think of anything that didn't use either machine. I think Back to the Future kind of ruined that for everybody. Yeah, well, I mean, this is kind of a dumb answer, but the a series that came out, like, last year, you know, that's part of the Krakoa era of X-Men, it's called uh, X-Lives and X-Deaths of Wolverine, they sort of do, like, if I'm remembering right, it felt like time travel by telepathy. Oh. Um, which was honestly kind of a little weird. And it was, a, it was a weird series. Like, I liked it, but I didn't love it. I don't know. We might talk about it at some point. Okay. I, I would say that there is something really funny, though, about 12 Monkeys as a remake of the Jetty. Because in the Jetty, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's Paris, the city of love, the city of light. In uh, 12 Monkeys, it's Baltimore than Philly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just... I guess that's what they could afford. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I say that I say that with love uh, to to both Baltimore and Philly. Like I've I've had great times in both cities, yeah. but I don't know. They're not Paris. They're not. We also get some nice parallels in Twelve Monkeys, where the future camp, the future concentration camps, and the Baltimore jail look, you know, of a piece, of a piece, which is, uh, you know, not uh, not unrealistic in twenty twenty two either or twenty twenty three either. I would say. So Matt, we you know we get Bruce Willis uh, in the into the present people think he's crazy he first gets sent to baltimore jail then he gets sent to a baltimore uh insane asylum where uh madeline stowe is playing the shrink who is you know treating him slash uh, slowly 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 falling in love with him but matt did you catch who was playing uh madeline stowe's uh boss no uh who was it bob it was good old frank gorshin matt see okay i reckon i could recognize his, like i looked at him I was like I, that Reminds me of somebody, but I could not place who it was. Frank Gorshin, yeah, yeah. Riddler, fan. the Riddler uh, from Batman '66. Uh, if people uh, don't remember the name, uh, very, very distinctive, very great performance as the Riddler. Although uh, Matt, do you want to really feel old? Sure. We are as far away from the movie Twelve Monkeys as the movie Twelve Monkeys was from Batman '66. <laughs> so yeah, that makes us pretty, pretty damn old. Shit. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna die soon. That's that's what I'm saying. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah. Speaking of like sinister character actors, I, I did want to kind of keep jump us ahead and keep going. Um, we get uh, Christopher Plummer as like Brad Pitt's father, right? And this uh, sort of sinister scientist, and he's a great Southern drawl. I was I was really impressed <laughs> by it actually, and I'd, I'd forgotten. I, I was looking up his filmography. Obviously, you know we know him from Star Trek. We know him from other things, but I'd forgotten he played the evil Reverend in the '80s Dragnet movie, which I think both of us loved as children. Yeah, it was a pretty good film. That's the one with uh, Tom Hanks and uh, Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd, yes. Dan Aykroyd was in that. It's like the only other film I remember him from other than Coneheads and Ghostbusters. Blues Brothers? Oh, yeah, Blues Brothers. Shit. He's in a lot of stuff. <laughs> so one thing I really adore in the Jetty is that it uses what I presume are photographs of, like, ruined cities from World War II aerial bombardment. And it uses that to represent, like, a nuclear World War III and then we see 12 Monkeys sort of reference this very cleverly by uh, several times having like a close up on a painting in the film and then panning the camera out. Uh, like when we first jump to 1990, we're in the Baltimore Art Museum and there's a close up on this early Italian Renaissance painting, The Ideal City. And then later, when Bruce Willis wakes back up in the future for a second time, we have a close-up on this 1864 uh, painting called The Valley of Yosemite. So it's just really kind of cool way that, like, 
the Jedi represents the post-apocalyptic uh, war or the apocalyptic war. And then 12 Monkeys sort of references the technique of the Jedi, but with famous art instead of, you know, devastation pictures. Yeah, see, in the Jedi, I, I was, they, they were creepy as fuck, but I kind of guess that's the whole point of it. You know, they're just, you know, it's, it's awful to look at war-torn, you know, their, their impression of World War III. But I did wonder where the images originated because they were just too detailed to be like a model or something like that, you know, like yeah. something that they just created for this. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Did you, uh, did you recognize our sinister character with uh, red hair uh, in 12 Monkeys? I did not know. So he's David Morris. He's a he's a television character actor. I think he was probably most famous for Saint Elsewhere, which I never watched. But he's on the HBO show Treme, which I, I really love a lot. And usually he's just bald like you. <laughs> but yeah. him, him having what I assume was a red wig was a uh, very weird and off putting. It was it was it was very interesting. But I, I did think that Twelve Monkeys did a great job of uh, making both red-haired David Morris and Bruce Willis in a disguise look like Brad Pitt. Like, when I first, I, it's been a long time since I'd seen 12 Monkeys, and so when I kept seeing these flashbacks to Bruce Willis's childhood, I assumed he was, like, watching Brad Pitt, but it's Brad Pitt's not involved at all. He's watching himself in disguise and David Morris in red hair. It's what you call a red herring, Bob. Oh, goddamn. You just owned me with that, Matt. Oh, goddamn. You just owned me. <laughs> well, they did do a fantastic job of it, though, because I would consider rewinding to see, like, the first time we see this character. Because, you know, they keep flashing back throughout the film to, to, the, to the airport scene. And I, I thought, the first time I saw it, I thought the guy with the red hair was Brad Pitt. And then when he turned around in that final scene, yeah. you're like, that's not him. Like, yeah, what the it's hell? David, it's David Morse. It's, David it's crazy. Morse. <laughs> yeah. So we, it's kind of interesting in the Jetty that it, you know, it's, we describe it as like a post-apocalyptic film or a time travel film, but you know, actually most of the film is just kind of taken up with it being like a ghost story romance. It sort of like pauses the science fictional elements for like a long period. I would say, I guess maybe about the halfway mark maybe even a little before the halfway mark, and it's just like a ghost story romance. It's, a, it's an interesting choice. I feel like 12 Monkeys does the same thing too, but just like a little faster. Uh, the whole romantic relationship between Bruce Willis and the psychiatrist escalates rather quickly, especially because she does. goes from being a kidnapped victim to, like, you know, yeah. it's like, oh, he was telling the truth, so obviously I'm in love with him. Like, what the fuck? Like, but that was the 90s. That's how shit happens. Well, but like they say in the in the film, that's actually pretty psychologically realistic. Oh yeah, well yeah, she's falling in love with her captor. Yeah, and also the whole thing, but also the other part that we need to fit here too is you know Bruce Willis is an action hero. Yeah, always, yeah. he's always cast as that. <laughs> so throughout this film, yes, we have this, the time travel piece, we have the romance piece, but there's also him beating the shit out of people in between all of this, uh, yeah. usually in her honor. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Bruce Bruce Willis wailing on random uh, homeless people and pimps uh, to protect Madeline Stowe is a very big, uh, very big part of the film, which which was missing in the Jetty, Bob. That whole piece was missing in the Jetty. That's what the Jetty was missing. It needed it needed more senseless violence against yeah. homeless people and pimps. That's uh, that's really what it needed. I I will say though, I had not remembered this, and I thought this was like really really clever in Twelve Monkeys how. You, they switch the characters where it's like Bruce Willis is now convinced he's crazy. And it's like, you know, 
in his delusion is getting the scientist to send him back to the present, but only as a way to escape what he thinks is his delusion while, um, while Madeline Stowe has like come to believe him. I thought that kind of reversal of their, of their paths or their roles was actually really funny. And see that part of the plot too had me questioning if they were going to go in the same direction as the Jetty. Yeah, yeah. And it it also felt like I'm really glad Twelve Monkeys didn't go this direction, but it it feels like it could have gone with a much more sort of ambiguous, like whoa, maybe Bruce Willis just is crazy sort of thing. Right. Yeah. And exactly. That that's why with the ending the way it is, it's just like okay, we get it. <laughs> it's yeah. 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 So, Matt, did you find it very poignant that in the Jetty, the protagonist chooses nostalgia and death over the future and an easy life? Is this why we watch X-Men, the animated series, Bob? I Probably best not to dwell on that, Matt. Uh, at least we get too depressed. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I will say, uh, yeah, before we move into talking about like our favorite images from the films, the one criticism I would make of 12 Monkeys... I could have done without the final shot being the close up on Bruce Willis's as a kid's eyes. I, I that that was, I didn't think that was the best way to end a, a very good movie. I, I don't know. I don't know how were they supposed to end it, Bob? Like I don't we, any any way but that. I don't know. Yeah. Just, <laughs> and granted, obviously it was a callback to the Jetty, but I don't know. Yeah, just, exactly. That's that's why they went that direction. It's just. Yeah, but it, it, I don't know. To me, like I I can't explain it in rational terms. But to me, like. The image didn't bother me in the jetty, but it, it, it's felt wrong or a, a off note to me in 12 Monkeys for reasons I can't, I can't fully articulate. Is it because the child wasn't very attractive, Bob? Well, Matt, I was going to put in the, I, I was going to say in the notes that he was a particularly ugly child, but then I was afraid <laughs> that was going to raise all sorts of questions that I really didn't want the podcast to go down. But yeah, since yeah. you've raised that, yeah, the kid, the kid is ugly, man. The kid is yeah. really ugly. He, he's got, he's got a wonky eye. So zooming in on it just didn't help. But I think Bruce Willis has a wonky eye. So that's maybe, maybe they were just trying to be accurate. But, but yet Bruce Willis is a very handsome man, Matt. It's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> ugly duckling syndrome, whoever that kid is. Yeah, I, I'm not going to bother to look up the kid's filmography, but I don't think he had much of one because he was such an ugly kid. Well, he's younger than us, too. So he's got that going for him. <laughs> I, have I ever told you about the story of uh, the friends of my friends who have a really ugly baby? No. So uh, friends of, friends of uh, like a married couple uh, who are friends of uh, a married couple that are my friends – uh, had a baby a few years ago. The, you know, the baby's since grown. He's not ugly anymore, but uh, he was a really ugly baby. And uh, so after he was uh, born, the the first married couple that had the ugly baby sent a picture of the ugly baby to my friends. And this uh, threw the married couple that were my friends into a conundrum because they're like, man, that's an ugly baby, but they didn't want to say that. So, you know, they just texted back something generic, like, Oh, look at him. He's so cute. To which, uh, to which the married couple replied, you fucking liars. We know he's ugly. <laughs> my, my other favorite, uh, ugly baby story is an old podcast. I used to listen to, they start, they stopped podcasting so much cause it was a husband and wife cause they had a baby. And when they did podcast after having the baby, the husband was just so in love with having the baby. He just talked about all the time on the podcast about how cute the baby was. And at one point, the wife is just like, yeah, but I suppose that we're uh, genetically predisposed to think that. So we don't eat him. <laughs> That's awful, too. 
<laughs> but it's true. Yes, it is true though. That's the true. weird part. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Ugh. All right. So, uh, what's your favorite image from the Jetty, Matt? Probably when he meets the people from the future. Yeah, yeah. I, I love. I'd be granted this is before the seventies because the film came out in the early sixties. But I love how they look like they're off like a seventies album cover for like Queen. You know. Yeah, I kind of wonder if that inspired that cover. I wonder that too. Yeah, yeah. I wonder that too. Um, for me, I really love how the rebuilt future Paris in the Jetty looks like the lines of the redwood tree that they're looking at earlier to kind of like map out time. I thought that was very cool. And I'd also totally forgotten that the Jetty gets that device of looking at the redwood tree from uh, the Hitchcock film Vertigo, which was four years before the Jetty. And, you know, obviously 12 Monkeys kind of references that because Bruce Willis and Madeline Stowe hide out in a 24-hour Hitchcock screening. And so we see that scene from Vertigo on the screen, and then Bruce Willis goes to sleep, and he wakes up, and he's in disguise, and Madeline Stowe's in disguise, and the birds is playing, which I thought was cool. That was a really cool scene. Uh, on top of that, too, you know, Bruce Willis probably smelled bad, and, and he wouldn't shut up during the film. So yeah, yeah. I would have hated to be <laughs> any of the patrons in that theater, especially the dude behind him that kept shushing them over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Although I feel like if you go to a 24 hour screening, that's a little more acceptable. You know, I'm not, it's still kind of rude, but it's a, in a 24 hour screening, it's a little more acceptable. I feel like. Yeah. Also, I feel like Madeline's uh, character, like completely sh shifted after that scene. Yeah. Well, have you seen Vertigo? That's where it ends up there in the lighthouse at the end. Yes. 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 Uh, yes. That's yeah. I've seen that. Um, I, it, I mean, I, I think you're right that her character shifts, but I think they're a little bit trying to justify it with like, uh, with the vertigo stuff. Right? They are that. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So what was your uh, favorite Im uh, image from the 12 monkeys, Matt? Probably the, they show the giraffes running across the bridge. It, it didn't look like amazing. Like it wasn't with modern technology now, you know, they can do that shit easily, but I don't know how they did it back then, but they made it look relatively realistic like it, it seemed like it could have actually been happening i do not think they took actual giraffes and ran them across the bridge but i also don't <laughs> want to look up how they did it some things are best left unknown. yeah we'll, we'll leave the magic to whatever they did it was yeah. cool though yeah kind of on that animal kick i was really tickled by how 12 monkeys like recreates all the museum animals from the jetty by having like bruce willis go onto the mission to the surface early in the film and a lot of the same animals from the jetty have like taken over the surface and are roaming the streets of uh and you know then later we have them roaming the streets of philly the animals i just i thought that was all like really cool and visually interesting in the jetty where we have like the circular end where the, we find out that the protagonist as a child witnessed his own death did you see that coming or was that a surprise Oh, I saw it coming like a mile away because the jetty spoiled it for me. I mean, on the whole, would you have rather have seen 12 Monkeys without seeing the jetty first? I mean, I don't know. The only thing about the, the Bruce Willis film, I think I said this earlier, was that the, the him questioning reality, like if, uh, you know, he, if he which was a crazy person in mid-film, mm -hmm. you know, that made it interesting enough to where I, I was still ingrained in the plot. I was still interested in what was going on. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. And there... There are enough differences and obviously like elaboration that like you were saying earlier, you're not exactly sure if 12 Monkeys is going to go the same way as the Jetty, but yeah. Um, out of curiosity, you're the big Quantum Leap fan of the two of us. Any thoughts on these two films in relation to that show? 
I mean, I really didn't put the, the two and two together, but you're absolutely right to make that connection. Like the whole point of Sam Beckett's experiment in Quantum Leap was to travel back into the past, but once he's there, he's stuck in the past and he realizes he has to like change things. He has this greater calling. There's more religion involved with it, I think, mm-hmm. than uh, than what this implies. So I haven't seen Quantum Leap since I was a kid. Like, what are what what's the mechanic of the time travel in Quantum Leap? He create they created some kind of like it's a portal basically. Oh, okay. or they call it the, they call it the I think they call it the, the Quantum Leap Accelerator or something. I don't know, but it looks like oh, a portal. Okay. Okay. They go in it. He goes in it. He gets stuck in the past, but he he takes over the bodies of other people in the yeah, past. Yeah, I remember that part of the gimmick at least. And the, yeah. Well, there's also more to the gimmick where like apparently they switch. So the person he takes over is in the future. Yeah, they're in like a holding cell in the future. Do they remember the holding cell after he finishes with them? Apparently not. Yeah, whatever changes he makes, you know, stay or remain, but anything that they witness is never brought back up. Huh. That's that's interesting. Maybe a little yeah. grim. <laughs> yeah, that's very grim. Do you, did you ever consider the similarities between Quantum Leap and Dead Man? Uh, yeah, they're very similar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, all right. So, Matt, uh, what other Terry Gillum films have you seen? Uh, Monty Python, The Holy Grail, The Meaning of Life, Time Bandits. Which Is Time Bandits any good? If I'm remembering correctly, it's funny. I think that's the one that starts with a pirate ship invading an office. I mean that's certainly the that's the that's the DVD and the poster is a, is a big is a big uh, pi- a big pirate ship. Yes, it's it's kind of a fun movie, but I don't think it's as memorable as the other two. Everyone's okay. seen Holy Grail, Meaning of Life at some point. Yeah, and he uh, he I think he just wrote and was in the Meaning of Life. I don't think he directed the Meaning of Life. He, he just didn't, directed no, the yeah. Holy Grail. Yeah, yeah he wrote yeah. he wrote yeah he was a writer on all three though I believe. Yeah, no, that's I think that's right. I think that's right. And then, like, I don't know, man. I, the first time I saw Holy Grail, I thought it was funny, but like, I I heard too many people quoted in high school and college and, and burnt out on Monty Python pretty hard, you know. Yeah, the, the cult following is annoying, but that's like any film that has a cult following. It's true. It's true. Yeah, I I would honestly say that the only Gillum films I really like are this and Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. So you've never you've never seen Fear and Loathing? I haven't. No. Oh man, we maybe we should watch that sometime. It's it's wild. It's fun. Um, also, uh, you know the whole like QAnon uh, conspiracy theory about Adrenochrome. Uh, no. <laughs> What's Adrenochrome? Oh, I don't man. know what that is. So you you, you know the like you, you know like the basic QAnon theory, right? Is that the world is run by an elite cabal of like uh, pedophiles, right? Yes, I've heard that part. And they like yeah, eat the and drink the blood of them and stuff. Yeah. Well, so it's sometimes it's drink the blood. Sometimes it's like they want to harvest the spinal fluid of the children, which is like adrenochrome, which is like, I think, a real thing, but it doesn't do what the QAnon conspiracy theory says it would do. But the idea is like if the children are being like abused or stressed, then like the adrenochrome is better, like I like veal, I guess, in the QAnon conspiracy theory. But in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, they do adrenochrome to get high. And so now QAnon people like love the movie and they're like, see, see, look, this is the sickos telling us what they're up to. Oh, my God. That's disturbing. 
it's yeah, it's, it's a wild yeah. world we live in, my friend. Yeah, you you have delved deeper into these conspiracy theories than I have. I, I just I just get what I hear sometimes on the news. Uh, no family members. You don't have any. You don't have a single family member who's a QAnon. I, I do, but I just don't listen to them. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. What 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 what? My favorite aunts is uh, big into the QAnon stuff. It uh, it yeah. produces some interesting conversations. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I've seen other Gillum films. Well, here's uh, the problem: Bob, are they conversations or just lectures? Because that's that's the issue I usually have. Oh, I'm, I'm good. I'm good at trolling her. Uh, oh, okay. My, my favorite was the time I told her, like, Auntie, we both agree that a cabal of pedophiles rules the world. I just think they're bipartisan. <laughs> that's awful. Also, like I, I, you know, I always bring up how like Trump was in the Epstein Black Book, was on the Lolita yeah. Express. Yeah, <laughs> they don't yeah. like that. Yeah. They don't like that. <laughs> yeah, I've seen a few other Gillum films besides Twelve Monkeys and Fear and Loathing, and I didn't really like any of them. Like I've seen Holy Grail. Um, I've seen Brazil, which people really love, which maybe I should rewatch, but really didn't hit me. And then I've seen Brothers Grimm, which I think people mostly agree is terrible. And then I, I've seen Tideland, which people like but i none none of those really did anything for me yeah on internet movie database brazil's like the film he's most known for which i've never seen but yeah people say it's one of the best films of all time i just i i wasn't feeling it but i also don't really like dystopias so that's part of oh yeah gotcha yeah so matt uh in the spirit of uh, our two films what's your favorite uh time travel narrative so bob I'm going to say this is Back to the Future, but you got to remember, I'm a, I'm a pleb. Damn <laughs> it. The ple- plebs make the world go round. We can't, we can't all be aristocrats of taste, Matt. Yeah. But my, uh, my favorite novel with time travel is the, it's called Seven and a, The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle. I've heard of that, but I don't think I know what it is. What is it? Really good. Um, it's, it's written by Stuart Turton. It's, it, basically, it's set in this like one, one area. And mm-hmm. the the idea is that this person is experiencing what's happening in all the different locations within the area through her deaths within a mm-hmm. single day. Mm-hmm. So sounds it, sounds very Groundhog Day, but more macabre. It is, yes, exactly. And you kind of need a, like a, a piece of notebook paper as you're reading it, or you're not going to keep up. But it's it's <laughs> nice. It's, fa- it's fascinating. I'm not a big time travel guy, but I might try to give that a might try to give that a read. Yeah, I made my brother read it, and he liked it, so... Yeah, I, I would definitely say, as far as, like, time travel movies go, um, let's see, the these two, like, uh, The Jetty and Twelve Monkeys are definitely two of my favorites, and I, I, I usually don't love time travel films, like, there's not a lot that come to mind that I, I really like, but one other one I really do like, and also I should make you watch sometime, is a, is a real mind-bender. It's like a Spanish slasher film, but it's also about time travel, and it's called Time Crimes, or the Spanish title is so cool, Los Cronos Crimes. Los Cronos Crimes. <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. Exactly. Yeah, maybe. What, maybe was, the name, what was the name of the uh, the film with uh, Rocky in it? Sylvester Stallone. Who, oh, uh, uh, not Demolition Man. It is Demolition Man. That is it. Okay. That oh was yeah. Called. I guess that's only that's only sort of a time time travel movie, but that movie fucking rocks, man. Yeah. <laughs> is that the one? Up the, is that a time travel film? Well, it's time travel in the sense that he and Wesley Snipes get put in like cryo sleep and then get awake, awoken in like twenty twelve. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. There are a few other like action nineties action movie time travels. Like obviously, you brought up the Terminator, and then 
I know there's a few others. Like I think Jean Claude Van Damme did one. I think that's the one I'm actually thinking of, but I'm confusing it with uh, the Sylvester Stallone film. I think it's called like Time. Time. Is it Time Cop? Time Cop. That's it. Time Cop. You got it. I'm getting Time Cop. I've never actually seen Time Cop, or if I did see it, I was so young, I did it didn't register. But probably I wouldn't have been allowed to watch it because you know it's an R. Yeah, Time Cop is the film I'm actually thinking of, not Demolition Man. But at the same time, though, like a lot of these films, I didn't actually watch. I just remember there being like really shitty Nintendo games of them. So <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh man, you you want to know something wild about uh, Time Cop? What? Uh, it was um, based on a story that appeared in the Dark Horse Comics anthology, and it was uh, the screenplay was co-written by the the publisher of Dark Horse and one of Dark Horse's writers who did a lot of like the early nineties stuff. Yeah, I didn't realize Time Cop was a comic book movie. Man, could have been <laughs> could have revitalized Dark Horse as a uh, <laughs> a game changing player in the uh, the, well, the cinematic Dark, movie universe. Dark Horse Dark Horse does good. I mean they got they got Hellboy, they got Black Hammer. Oh yeah they got Hellboy. I've heard about Hellboy. That's Dark Horse yeah. Actually, you know, now I kind of want to watch Time Cop because it's directed by Peter Hymas, who's one of my favorite science fiction directors. He did um, he did three like really good movies. I don't know if you've seen any of them, but he did. Um, there's a movie called Capricorn One that's about a conspiracy theory to fake a Mars landing. That's really good. And then he did a he did a western set on like a moon of Jupiter, starring Sean Connery, called Outland. That's really good. And then he did the sequel to 2001, A Space Odyssey, which I know that sounds awful, and obviously it's nowhere near as good as 2001, but it's actually a good movie. Is that the one that's like 2010 or something like that? That's it. That's it, yeah. Okay, yeah. I remember I was looking, I saw that earlier. I believe the subtitle for 2010 is The Year We Make Contact. Why am I having trouble pulling Time Cop up, time cop up on Internet Movie Database? It's one word. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Kind of like time crimes. Time cop and time crimes. It's all one word. Kind of makes kind of makes me wonder if time crimes being one word is a, is a, is an homage to time cop. Well, apparently it has sequels as well, which is even funnier to me. Oh, all that's right. uh, that that doesn't sound inspired. Yeah. <laughs> that does not spark joy. <laughs> well, I'm right. glad they well, did, I'm glad they didn't make a sequel to Twelve Monkeys. That's well, I mean, they did make a you know like a three season TV show about it. Yeah, but is it is it a sequel or is it just like a reimagining? Or I think it's a reimagining. Yeah, that's my understanding. Yeah. I, I could be. I don't. I I know very little about it except for the same showrunner as Picard season three and a lot of actors from Picard season three. And my my boy Eddie told me it was good years ago, and I was just like, I'm going to watch it, Eddie. But God damn it, it doesn't sound <laughs> it doesn't sound good. <laughs> All right. Well, have we wandered far enough, far enough off the appointment? Sure. I think I think we wandered far enough off of our Jetty and Twelve Monkeys coverage. All right. Well, this has been the Jetty and Twelve Monkeys, or the two time travel movies coverage. We are a part of Uncanny Treks. Enjoy this along with our Star Trek Picard coverage. I am Bob in Cascadia. That is Matt in the Southland. Have a great night, everybody. Thanks for listening.